Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We're on season five, episode 25, Head. This is the last episode of season five. Can you believe it? The last episode of season five? Oh my God. I'm like jacked to do this. Yeah, me too. Like, let's leave on a fucking high note. High note, Mariah It's a pedophile episode. We're like, let's leave on a high I note. No. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I forget about the subject yeah. matter and I'm like, this is going to be fun. Lots of laughs. But it's because like we're hanging out. So it's like, that's going to be fun. Yeah, I know. Barf. All right. So the opening scene, we're at a coffee shop. There's a woman and she has that classic 2000s kind of flippy. What is that? Like a pixie kind of I th- it was so- shaggy hair thing that everybody Peter had. Pan? Yeah, it's, I, I it don't was know. kind of Peter Panny. Okay, cute. So she goes up and she's quickly ordering because she has to go to the bathroom. She's like, I need a fucking venti tall cherry spice. <laughs> no foam, half calf, extra, whatever. Yeah. Get an iced vanilla latte like everybody else. Yeah. So on her way to the bathroom, her phone rings and it's work. She's talking to some guy and she's like, The quarterly reports, I know you hate spiral bound paper, blah, blah, blah. And her fucking phone drops into the toilet, which is fucking gross. I hate that. That's happened to me before. It's happened to me too. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. I I often just be sitting here and thinking like what if I drop my phone in a porter potty? What would I do? Ooh, it's gone forever. Anyway, this woman drops her phone in the toilet as she's hectic oh, trying to get out of with coffee to work whatever and she's like he said it'd be 20 minutes so i ran next door for a cup of damn it my dad pops his head in and goes i'd rather have coffee <laughs> okay for a cup of damn it a cup so, of toilet water i thought it was a good joke when i wrote it and i'm reading it going what <laughs> so she lifts up the seat to be able to get the phone out easier and sees a fucking camera hidden in the toilet and she says legit what in the world what the hell is this <laughs> Which was just, it was totally like, what I think you world? should leave sounding, what in the world? What the <laughs> hell is this? The camera was in there the way a bidet is in a toilet. Yeah. Like when you add a bidet to an existing toilet, it's like. But a little bit higher. It was weird. I was like, yeah. how did this even catch any? Whatever though. <laughs> okay. So now it's a crime scene, of course. Tarubin is updating Benson and Stabler. This camera is a spy camera, duh. And it's the type that burns batteries super quickly, about three to four hours. And there's 30% power left. So it was set up pretty recently. There was also a gigantic transmitter with a fucking antenna that was hooked up to it. <laughs> It was coming out of the tank behind the toilet. He goes, look what I found. There's a satellite over no, the fucking... The antenna has, is that, that's like the toilet paper roll holder. He's like, this will hide it. <laughs> Red blinking light. There's a guy with a boom mic in the other stall. <laughs> right. There's also a transmitter that's hooked up to it. It's huge. The person recording could be up to one block away. Not two, only one. This is the early 2000s. Right. So obviously Stabler thinks that the person is in the coffee shop still. So they go to the dining area. Benson and Stabler are talking about how easy it is to be a peeping Tom nowadays. And they're like, back in the day, they had to hide in the bushes. Like that was better or something. But there's so much high tech technology that it's just become easier. They see a ton of people on their laptops. And Benson says, how do we find out who the pervert is? And Stabler says, we find out who downloaded the most crap. (laughs) (laughs) Dad. There's so much poop and pee jokes in this. It's stupid. (laughs) So dumb. Theme song. <laughs> they were looking for the comedy, too. Yeah. Everybody at their laptop looks over at them, and they're like, oh, God. Did you see... I'm um, putting that in my screenplay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you... When he said that, Olivia went slowly, like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. 
at the precinct, Kragen wants updates like now. Kragen asks Benny and states, where are we on the potty perv? Oh my God. The poopy peeper. The lavatory looker. The crapper creep. The shithouse spy. The pisser perp. Did you write all these down? The wee wee watcher. Yeah. <laughs> you did? I did. Oh my God. The stinker stalker. <laughs> this is so stupid. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but fucking yuck, okay? Fucking yuck. Well, the part that's truly disgusting is the uh, non-consensual nature of the it Non-consensual, all. We, yeah. We all agree on that. There was a fingerprint on the transmitter, but there's no matches in the system. Stabler says that everyone in the cafe that used the bathroom looked super freaked out, but all their hard drives were clean. It's mm-hmm. possible that the person streaming the footage left when they saw that they had been caught and was gone by the time the police arrived. So I'm sure the lady came out like, what the fuck is going on? You know? Well, and if they were watching it live, they saw her discover oh, yeah, the camera. Exactly. Yeah. And then Munch says, gives a whole new meaning to live streaming video. <laughs> nice, guys. And Stabler was like, oh, that was better than my crap joke. And he threw a bunch of cups. <laughs> He's pissed. Full of piss. <laughs> Huang says they're looking for people with sexual attractions to urine and feces. No, duh. Benson's like, I don't fucking want to talk about it, even though her job is sex crimes. But okay, that's fine. Huang says there hasn't been a ton of studies in people with those kinds of predilections, but they most often are victims of childhood abuse and turn in on themselves and become obsessed with their own bodily function, is what Huang says. Yeah. Huang says the perp is most likely not dangerous and is antisocial. This dude was voyeuristic and not actually coming into contact with any of his victims. This is the first time that I was like, Huang, because he basically was like, well, he's probably not going to physically hurt anybody, so... On to the next crime. And it's like, mm. Oh, I didn't realize he was kind of like, meh. Maybe I was taking it in differently because I, it felt flippant in mm. a way where it was like, well, he's not physically hurting anybody. Kragen says they've already got a butt ton of calls about this dude and want to find him ASAP. I threw that butt ton thing in. Oh, really? That wasn't in the notes? <laughs> quote, end quote from Kragen. <laughs> Munch wants to track the perp down via the camera equipment. So off they go. Munch and Toots head over to iSpy Electronics to chat with the shop owner. They were there May 6th, three days Ugh. after my birthday. You didn't even see that? Jeez. Three days at no. Wow. <laughs> I'm watching this scene going, you and I would be the worst fucking detective team. We know that already. But this guy goes, you name it, we could put a camera in it. And one of us would scream, that's what she said. While the yeah. other one was screaming, you can milk anything with nipples, Greg. <laughs> right. This guy's a chode, and he's like, this store isn't just for creeps. We sell a lot of things to NYPD. I'm actually a licensed PI myself. This dude was fucking geeking to show these detectives his little plastic mail-order badge. Yeah. (laughs) You and I, we're the same. Toot shows the shop owner the camera, and he says it could be his product, but his employee Charlie would have been the one to put together the special order. Mm. She's in the back. (laughs) Let's go to the back. I'm Jerry Blank. I'm a 46-year-old high school (laughs) freshman. It's fucking Amy Sedaris. I know. She's looked the same age her entire life. Oh, my God. I love her. (laughs) Me too. I was overwhelmed just thinking about listing off her top creds, but we're going to do a few. She's got 126 and counting. Strangers with Candy. Mm -hmm. School of Rock. Elf. Bojack Horseman. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. F is for Family. At Home with Amy Sedaris. Dick Town. Theater Camp, which I'm 
pumped to see. Me too. She's amazing, and an appearance from her is always gold. Anyway, mm -hmm. I decide right now that she's our toilet troll. And God. she's the sister of David Sedaris, the amazing writer, which is awesome. Amazing, yeah. Like, what a cool family. Charlie says the parts are from various kits and don't have serial numbers, so there's no way to trace it. She does so many orders that she doesn't remember if she made it. She goes over to her pewter and searches for the components of the camera to see if she can find the orders. She's hemming and hawing, like looking at the list, like, hmm, I don't know. And while she searches, Toots goes, how many itty bitty teeny weeny mini BB eatsy weensy Polly Pocket Tinkerbell cameras could you have made? He said itty bitty, but I added all the other stuff. Oh, did you? <laughs> I did. I did. She's made about 500 cameras over the past year. And six months ago, someone had ordered five of the same kind of camera. The customer is F.E. Tishman. Fetish man. Oh, that's clever. <sighs> that's sure. Toots and Staves are on the street walking and talking. Fetishmanner.net is the website the cameras stream to. So they head over to the porn studio slash set to talk to Fred Durst, the production manager. <laughs> This guy was like a, I was going to say a dorky Fred Durst, but Fred Durst was dorky too. So it was just a backwards red hat guy with a soul patch. A skinnier Fred Durst. Yeah. This dude was Agent Fallon in American Crime Story. I didn't watch it, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening did. Anyway, he's hurrying a couple of porn actors into the studio. And one of them is Coco. That's what I thought. His wife. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You just see him staring at her the whole time. I know. He's like, oh, God. They met in 2001, got married a year later. So this scene is two years in. They're newly married. Oh, okay. Who'd have thought they'd still be crushing it after 21 years? Yeah. Back to the scene. Ice-T's a woogaing at Coco as she trots in while Stabler asks, what in the I've been married since high school is going on in there? <laughs> the dude says they're shooting legal porn that's live streamed on the internet and they've got over a hundred cameras inside. The five they bought from iSpy are in various places. Toilet, showers, hot tubs. They're all waterproof. Yeah. So this guy's name's Gil. Gil's got a book because he's got a call on his radio to fix the Chinese spinning basket. Well, we learn something new every day. Guess who Googled that? There's a basket with the bottom cut out suspended from the ceiling. And one person sits in the basket with their vag out the bottom. And the other person is under it on their back with a hard wiener. And <laughs> the basket gets lowered down while it's spinning. And you Whoa. can figure out... Yeah, it's called a Chinese basket job. I've never heard of that. Neither had I. And it didn't say anything about butt stuff, but it would definitely work for butt stuff too. Yeah. But the history of it is from bathhouses and shit. Mm. Massage parlor kind of thing. Huh. Anyway. Who thinks of that? Who's like, let's get a fucking basket and like cut the hole out of it. You know what? Get some rope. Let's fucking get weird. Like, <laughs> who thinks can of that? Can we get like a carabiner so we can spin it? Who's spinning it? Is that like the... There's gotta be another Is that person. like the Mormon soaker jumper? <gasps> Or, well, I mean, if the basket's lowered on their wiener, you gotta, maybe you're doing this. Like, oh, yeah, duh. The know. person laying there, like, they gotta do something with their hands. Yeah. But I'd like the whole Mormon soaker thing better. <laughs> like, somebody's like, hey, I'm just here to spin the basket. They're looking at their phone, and there's like one hand tapping it, like a mom at the park. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh my God. I'm crushing these candies and spinning this fucking <laughs> cock basket. Oh, so the detectives ask Gil about his cameras being used off-site, and he says that never happens, and he would definitely know about it if they were. His current setup is a fucking moneymaker, baby. No need to go off-site. Why would I leave this very interesting place? 
He tells mm-hmm. them to check it out for themselves and bops inside. At the precinct, the website had over 300,000 hits. Novak says they don't have enough to subpoena the subscriber list, though. Craigan walks in with a dude. I don't know if you noticed this or if it's just me, but I felt like this guy that he walked in with was doing a Craigan impression the whole time. This guy, he, w- he was like, um, oh. Kind of- yeah, he was a really. It was, it's, it almost seemed like he like won a contest to be able to be a character for a minute. He didn't have a lot on his IMDb. I think just like a handful of things. But it felt like like if Craigan put his hands on his hips and he put his hands on his hips. Okay, so this guy says he may have seen the perp on the sidewalk outside of the coffee shop. He was getting out of a cab and the perp was trying to get in. The guy had coffee from the shop and he spilled it on the witness. Benny asks him to describe the perp. And he's like, hmm, I don't know, exactly like me-ish? He describes a white male, late 20s, dark hair, average height, glasses, laptop. Munch mentions that the cab receipt the witness had could tell them the cab number. Then Mm -hmm. they could find out where the guy with the laptop was dropped off at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he had like an expense report or whatever. So his company paid the cab. So they were able to get it. Mm -hmm. So that leads us to the Knoll Apartments. There's this fucking middle hair parted guy with the shirt off sun tanning outside of the building benson's in his light and he seems irritated yeah <laughs> he says the dis- she is the light honey yeah there you go that's right actually yes yes he says that the description sounds like someone he's seen around the building the name is donato he creeps the suntan guy out never makes eye contact just stares at people's butts i'm like are you talking about me <laughs> <laughs> right Benson Stabler go inside and knock on the door to 1A. Charlie, Amy Sedaris from the camera shop opens and Munch is like, hmm, well, look who it is. Let's try this whole thing again. What the fuck is going on? She says the guy she lives with is her kid brother, Wade. He's had a hard time holding down a job, so he asked if he could spend a few weeks on her couch, and it's been two fucking years. I'd kill him. I couldn't. I couldn't handle that. No. She says this is all her fault. She never should have made the camera for him, but she didn't know he would use it for that. Charlie mentions that they had a rough childhood and says that Wade is a very sensitive boy. The abuse that they went through was hard on him and he took the brunt of it. Mm. So there's that whole Huang thing. Munch starts looking through his shit and Charlie's like, stop, don't. He doesn't like anybody touching his stuff. Benson tells her to chill out and to stop covering for him. He's sick and tells Charlie to help them stop Wade and they can get him some counseling and like the help that he needs. Charlie didn't need any convincing (laughs) she literally just turns around grabs a box and dumps out a bunch of cds and vhs tapes all over the floor and it's all urine porn what was it called urine luck two and what was it (laughs) munch was like oh the first one must have been real good if they made a second sequel or whatever (laughs) so wade walks in just as they're going through his videos he's like what in the hell (laughs) are you sure about that I didn't do shit. Wait, wait, I'll kill by, you. <laughs> wait, is played by James mm. Urbaniak. He's got a hundred and ninety-five friggin' acting credits. What? I did not recognize him Mm-mm. at all. Like, I did not think he was going to be a guy who worked constantly in a bunch of roles, too. I think the big mention here, though, is his influential role in Pig, Goat, Banana Cricket as the voice of Nosepicker Fish. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I gotta, like I said, I got to write these down. 
Charlie tells Wade that they're detectives and they know. Wade says he didn't break any laws, but Benson is like, um, you did if you took these without consent, you fucking butt. What the hell, you know? Yeah. So they arrest him. Now they're in a fucking interview room in the precinct. Benson asks Wade what he gets out of it, which is besides the point. Like, doesn't matter what he gets out of it. No. He didn't get consent and that's it. He doesn't need to explain his kink to her. So shut that line of questioning down, Benson. Like, this isn't what this is about. Right, yeah. We're not here to fulfill your curiosity yeah just focus on the consent part he obviously doesn't want to talk about what he gets out of it stabler comes in and a journal about the quote tour of manhattan toilet cams was found wade tells stabler he had no right to read it and benson tells wade he had no right to shoot that crap poop jokes poop jokes wade is super mad they touched his things he took notes of the toilet user, the urine, with timestamps. He also has subject names, the duration of urination, and the notes on the color. Wade says, they were for my own personal use. No one was going to see them. Let me just fucking pay my fine and leave. But they tell him that shit doesn't work that way anymore. Not since Stephanie's Law. So Stephanie's Law was put into law in 2003, and it's, quote, Unlawful surveillance, which is defined as the installation of an imaging device with no legitimate purpose other than surreptitiously viewing or recording another person in a bedroom, bathroom, changing room, or other specified room. So, yeah, Stephanie Fuller was a resident of Bay Shore, Long Island, who was videotaped by her landlord, one Mm. William Schultz, without Stephanie's consent or knowledge. He put a small video camera in the smoke detector that faced her bed. Ugh. So, yeah, that made it a felony in 2003. Mm -hmm. In New York. So since Stephanie's law was passed, this crime makes it a class E felony. And he goes, his jaw is wide open. He goes, no way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was newly passed. so Yeah. No way. She's like, yeah, way, bro. God. (laughs) All the way. The time served will be one to four years per count. All the consecutive charges could leave him with a life sentence. And he's just like, I can't deal with this. Wade wants to make a deal. He says he knows about a, quote, real crime and wants to know if they catch the guy, if they'll reduce his sentence. And Benson's like, well, that fucking depends, you know? He tells him to look at DVD 62 one hour in. Wouldn't this just get him in trouble for failure to report a crime? I know. I thought the same thing. Hey, I've been holding on to this one just in case. They're like, yeah, that is also a crime. Yeah. You're not good at this. I want to make a deal. I want more prison time. (laughs) You're like, okay. Fast forward. All the detectives are watching the footage. It's from two weeks earlier and it was taken two blocks away. Mm. A fucking kid goes into a stall. He's bleeding over his right eye. It looks like he's been attacked. Then the fucking door is shaking and they're all talking like they're watching the movie. They're like, no, dude, don't open the door. Don't do it. The kid opens it and a dude comes in and fucking sexually assaults the boy. I did not like how much they showed. The video was just, it was a little more. It was more than they normally show. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't either. I'm glad that you caught that too because I was like, wow, this is a lot more. They they usually don't even, Mm -hmm. it just will pan to their faces being like, oh. Yeah. And it's like, we get it. It was fucking gross. Did not like it. So Wade caught a sexual assault and didn't do anything to stop it or report it. And that's his deal he wants to make cut to the holding cell stabler goes into wade's cell grabs him by the throat because that's the appropriate thing to do to an inmate and won't cause any battery charges (laughs) fucking stabler he asked wade where he was when he saw the assault 
Stabler tells him he knows he likes a live show and that they know he saw it happen and didn't stop it. Wade's like, what the fuck was I supposed to do? Fucking call the cops and tell them I caught a sexual assault on my toilet cam? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You saw a sexual assault of a kid. Uh, that that may have helped you. That may have helped you. Yeah. You giving it to them two weeks later after you were caught? I don't think... You held on to that just for this moment. Stabler is pissed as fuck and slowly says, where did it happen? It happened at Central Park. Wade was watching the live feed from 50 yards away and never saw the perp's face. What a piece of shit. I know. Well, we gotta go see Tarubin again. He says they have new tech on loan from fucking NASA. Bullshit. <laughs> Why? <I know. laughs> Why even say that part? Just be like, I we know. have pretend technology on TV. Like, they do. They can clear up any image. Could you enhance that real quick? They don't have grainy footage unless it right. pushes the story along. But he's like, this fucking tech from NASA that they borrowed to us for a minute. It's not mine. I'm also wearing her top. Isn't it cute? <laughs> we can use this to clear up the image and try to ID the boy from the video. Thank God for this technology. Mm-hmm. The image is cleared up. You can see the details of the boy's face and more details of the boy's assaulter. The nails are done with French tips. Full gasp. <gasps> Our molester's a woman. I'm just glad that they didn't go the classic route of blaming a trans person. Right. Also, they weren't even like that done of nail. It was weird. I was like, oh. It was okay. the tiniest white edge of a French tip of a very modest nail. Mm-hmm. I was like, no. That just looks like I cleaned my nails. Yeah. In the precinct, they're discussing the updates now. They're hopeful because the pool for who the perp could be goes down a lot because they believe it's a woman. Benny states that only 10% of pedophiles are women. Munch makes a very good note saying that it's 10% of all known pedophiles. It's understudied and probably underreported. 100%. Mm-hmm. Those stupid fucking yeah. hot for teacher tropes and shit, like just yeah. for starters 100%. regarding. Yeah. Wade was near a lot of soccer practice fields. There was only one game that day. Vipers versus Bulldogs. And the boy's jersey tells us he's a bulldog. Let's go see the coach. Benny and Stabes talk to the coach of the team the boy was on. He's a normal person, so he doesn't stop loading his car to talk to sex crimes police. He's also a normal person, so he's a 48-year-old adult man with a bowl cut. He IDs the boy as Shane Madden, a star player on the team. At that particular game, they were winning until Shane got thrown out for fighting. Shane's mom ran onto the field when it happened. The coach calls Shane's mom a piece of work and says she was drunk. She joined in on the fight, fell down in the mud... And then, quote, teetered off to clean herself up. Mm. Shane took off then and never came back. Coach also says he didn't notice any other women leave around that time. Next steps, please. So now we're at Shane's school. Benson and Stabler are watching Shane play in an orchestra class. He's adorable. He sure as shit isn't 12, I'll tell you that much. They're talking to the principal. She says Shane is a good student and she doesn't have much interaction because usually only problem cases get sent to the principal's office. This woman playing the principal has 91 credits. And the only one I know is that she played Michael Sarah's mom in Superbad. Oh, I don't remember the mom. I, I just rewatched it recently. I'm glad I got another rewatch before we found out what a fucking joke Jonah Hill is. Because now I think I would watch it and be like, shut up, shut up. Because she hasn't seen him or had much interaction with him, she doesn't know about any behavioral changes he's had lately. Mm-hmm. Benson asks to speak to him privately, 
and she offers up her principal's office. In the principal's office, Benson and Stabler speak with Shane. Shane says he doesn't know what they're talking about. He says it wasn't him on camera, and they're like, bro, okay? And they show him a picture of the footage. It's him. He tells him that the perp is a stranger and doesn't want to cooperate or give a description. Benson tells him that he has nothing to be ashamed of, and he did nothing wrong. He gets fucking pissed and says, you guys suck, and storms out. The principal comes in. She's like, what happened? Benson and Stabler tell her they need to talk to Shane's parents. But he's only got his mother, which the principal says, quote, I use the term mother loosely. Mm. She came in to speak for career day once and was drunk and it was horrible. She says Shane's mom works as a beautician at a salon called Creme de la Crop. And this principal needs to drop the sort of like judgment attitude when she's talking about beauticians. She was like, she's a beautician. Ugh, yeah. Like, yeah, know. yeah. I mean, read her for not being a, being bad a good mom. mom. Don't fucking read her for her goddamn job. The woman is trying to make a living for her and her son. Yeah. Cut to creme de la crop hair salon. Shane's mom says that girls love Shane and are always calling him. Holy absolute shit. Did you recognize her? She looked familiar, but I didn't know what she was from. Shane's mom is played by Diana Scarwood. She was the grown version of Christina in Mommy Dearest. Oh. When she's like, when they're like, fight, you know, she goes to pick her up at school and then um, they get in that fucking fight at the house. She's like, why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? Mm-hmm. Why can't you treat me like I'd be treated by any stranger on the street? And she fucking goes, because I'm not one of your fans. <laughs> oh. So fucking intense. She plays Macaulay Culkin's mom in Party Monster as well. And she Mm. plays Mother Superior in Pushing Daisies. I love that show. Me too. She has, I think we every time it comes up, we're both like, I love that. Me too. But anyway, Diana Scarwood in a bunch of amazing things, but Mommy Dearest. Oh, she's Jackie in this Mm -hmm. episode. So Shane's mom says that girls love Shane. They're always calling him. She calls Shane gorgeous, just like his father. And Benson's like, do you fucking understand what happened? She just keeps talking about how girls couldn't keep their hands off Shane's dad either. And Stabler says, yeah, but this was an adult. She goes, oh, gross. Who would do that? I don't see it doesn't seem it's like registering right Benny and Stabler talk about the game and fucking her being drunk and falling she was like I slipped in some mud we're like yeah (laughs) they asked where she cleaned up and she says duh the bathroom Stabler says did you happen to run into your son there and then asked to see her nails and she gets pissed she's like what the fuck are you insinuating they tell her that she was in the bathroom with her son at the same time she says she was not there she went to the one at that boathouse cafe nearby and stayed to have a drink she was there for two drinks then Shane came in and made her leave she says he didn't mention what happened at all but who talks about sex with their mother and i'm like what the fuck lady it's not sex yeah stabler asked if there were any other women with no sons at the game the only woman with no kids was shane's babysitter cindy bellamy a month ago shane threw a fit and told his mom he didn't need her anymore so shane's mom doesn't know why bellamy was at the game Munch and Toots are going to talk to her. Cindy says she went to more of Shane's game than his mom ever did. Mm. When she went to that game in particular, she did a little networking there, picked up some other gigs. She was also babysitting another kid that day. So while they're talking to her, she's currently babysitting two kids. During this conversation, she has to go break up a fight between them. She tells them that Shane says he was too old for a babysitter. Mm. Mm -hmm. Toot said something about her being Shane's girlfriend and she terribly acts I'd never do that to a kid I'm dating one of my professors I like I'm older (laughs) 
She scoots right past him. She's not into this line of questioning. She's going to take the kids in. Before she gets inside, they ask Cindy if she talked to Shane at the game. Mm, yeah, she had. And asked Shane if things had gotten any better with his mom. She's a total alky. Cindy mm-hmm. says Shane's mom would come home, quote, hours late, blotto, with way younger dudes. God knows what Shane's seen. When she's drunk, she has no idea <laughs> what she's doing. <laughs> Back at the precinct, Craigan's blown away that the detectives are considering Jackie a perp. I'm not. Everyone in the apartment building has a horror story about Shane's mom being drunk. Shane's dad left a few years ago, and Craigan still can't believe that the mom could be the abuser. They're all explaining it to him like one of those HR videos that you have to watch in an office job. It's like, you're the captain of sex crimes. I mean, it wasn't like, we need to cover every angle if we think this is the case. He's like, I don't know. She's his mom. That'd be weird. He still wants them to canvas more. But you know he wouldn't say that about a dad molesting his daughter. Mm -mm. There's absolutely no case where you can go, I don't know, it's probably not that person. It could be absolutely fucking anyone. (sighs) Craigan still wants them to canvas more because he's like, not the mom. Shane's team has a game the next day, so they're going to go chat up the crowd. The next day, Stabler, Benson, Munch, and Toots go to Shane's soccer game. Munch and Toots spot a woman that has a similar outfit to the perp in the video. This is their interaction. They walk up to her, and to her back, Toots goes, excuse me, ma'am. The woman turns around, and her sweatshirt says, soccer mom. She goes, yes? And Munch, a foot from her face, goes, soccer mom. (laughs) And the woman's like, okay. That's what it says. Yeah. (laughs) So they're like, oh, yeah, um, we need to say more than that. So they question her about her outfit. And she goes, all the moms wear them to the games. They got them from the booster club. It was this fundraiser thing. Just then in the background, a hundred moms in the exact same outfit as her pile out of a clown car for the big game. Go Bulldogs. (laughs) There was literally they were just all of them standing there. If if Munch had just moved his eyes to the right a smidge. Just just six more feet onto the horizon. He would have been like, oh, (laughs) it's a team of moms in soccer mom sweatshirts. It's like they're right here. They're standing directly behind me. (laughs) Like they're two feet away. But okay. Now we go to Benson and Stabler. They're sitting on either side of Shane's mom. She's also in the sweatshirt and she's Mm -hmm. drunk mom cheering for her son who's not playing by the way. There's no game happening yet. Benson asks her if she's been drinking and wants to check out what's in Jackie's travel thermos. Uh Uh-oh, but Jackie's smart. She's like, oh, sure, sploosh, and dumps it all out. Just then, Stabler sees Shane talking to the principal across the field. He asks Jackie if the Bulldogs are a school team. God, I love her. She drunkenly goes, no. It's sponsored through the city. Uh Uh-oh. To top it off, the principal has no kids on the team. Mm -hmm. What in the under our noses is going on here? (laughs) Shane and his principal hug each other. Then she goes and touches another boy on the shoulder as if to be like, come on. He gets up and they leave together. So Mm -hmm. the detectives follow her. Yeah. Benson Stabler catch up to the principal and the boy. She has her arms around his shoulders. It's her stepson, Jason. Jason is on a team in the league Shane is in, but he's a couple years older. They ask her where her soccer mom sweatshirt is that all the other moms have. She says she's not big on sweatshirts. And then Jason says, come on, you wear that stupid thing all the time. (laughs) She's like, fucking shut up, Jason. Uh Uh-oh. Betty and Stabes, they have a fucking tood and she has a tood. Everybody knows what's going on besides Jason. (laughs) Yeah. Benny and Stabes ask her if she had talked to any other students. She said that she ran into one of them, yes. And they're like, oh, was that Shane? Did you also run into him two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. 
She says no, and they're late for a pizza party, so they leave. Rice still has her hands on Jason's shoulders. Like, in a weird way. Nobody walks like that. Right. I thought that he was covering for her, that he was pretending to be her stepson, and they were, like, in a relationship or something. Oh. But, well, because he's like, what? what do you mean? You wear that all the time. Soccer mom. You're my mom. <laughs> Back at the precinct, the gang is going over the deets on the principal. Principal Rice has no criminal record and has a bunch of good deeds under her belt. Peace Corps, volunteer work. She set up an adult literacy program and was even teacher of the year 1996 and 98. Munch thinks it's a perfect job for a pedophile, which it is. All that power over all these kids. But Benson thinks it's odd that there isn't even a single accusation. Is it? Yeah. This shit can go on for years. Right. So she's been married to an architect for the last seven years and has a stepson, Jason, which we met. Munch says that most pedophiles don't get caught with their first victim. So maybe she has been molesting her stepson. Munch and Toots watched a video of the game from two weeks ago. No sign of the principal. They did get a shot of Shane's mom falling and they hold up a picture and they just show <laughs> her in with her legs up. <laughs> Midair. You know, Craigan's shady ass says, quote, that outfit's a crime, but it's not a match. I was like, damn. Damn, Ruth. (laughs) You reedy bitch. The library's closed, Cragen. Stop it. Since Rice goes to all her stepson's games and the bathroom is between the two fields Jason and Shane would have played on, it's suspicious. Cragen calls it all circumstantial at best. But Stabler says Rice fucking couldn't get away from them fast enough when they talked to her and Jason. They never even got a chance to talk to Shane about what Rice said to him. They need to ask Shane what he and Rice talked about at the game when they hugged. Toots talks with Jason. They're doing a little walk and talk. He says that him and Rice get along really great. He really feels like he lucked out with her. And Toots is like, for a stepmom? And he's like, no, like, just a mom. Mm. She goes to all my games, school plays, and helps with my homework. You know, sappy stuff like that. Now Stabler is going to talk to Shane. Stabler interrupts Shane in the orchestra room. He's at school early to practice the trumpet because it gives his mom headaches. Mm. And Stabler's like, sure. He just says that he's there to check on him. Stabler says that he knows Shane has had a rough time at home. Shane says his mom just needs extra help because she gets sick a lot. And Stabler goes, "Mm, yeah. Poor boy. Stabler tells Shane that if he ever wants to talk to give him a call, then he gives him his business card and it's got numbers for Alateen on the back. Stabler tells Shane he wants to talk to him about him and Rice. The bell rings. Shane needs to get to class. Stabler tells him they have Rice on tape from the restroom and they've talked to her. Shane's like, she won't fucking talk to anybody. She's not going to tell you shit and rushes off. Back with Jason and Toots. Jason says Rice has been weird lately. Rice and her husband have been fighting. They never really had before. And she even yelled at Jason. Stabler and Toots come back together. Toots says Jason doesn't show any signs of having been molested. Stabler says they didn't get enough out of Shane to remove Rice from school. Munch and Toots go to the teacher's lounge. One teacher says Rice is straight-laced as fuck, but the kids still love her. One teacher says Shane has been pulled from his class a few times by Rice. Shane also got a note excusing him from gym class, and it looked like a kid wrote it, but Rice confirmed it was her handwriting. So Benson goes to the office to go through records. I love this secretary lady she's i loved her too i tried to find anything on her and i couldn't benson examines the disciplinary action logs over the course of the last month rice's signature has changed and she points out to the secretary and she's like yeah it does look like she's got sloppy but rice seemed distracted but they all were because some are so close and then benson asks why rice isn't at school and the secretary says she went home because of a family emergency Mm mm-hmm sure Stabes goes to the Rice residence to talk to Mr. Rice about his wife. So this guy's going to come back to SVU in season seven. Today, he's the principal's husband. He and Stabes are talking. Mr. Rice is 
pacing around because he's so worried about his wife. He hasn't talked to her, and he thinks maybe one of her troubled students she overextends herself for did something. Mm. Stabler asks about their marriage. Uh-oh. Mr. Rice starts to percolate. Mm, it's not really your business. Mm -hmm. Stabler tells Mr. Rice that the same time his wife left school, a young male student went missing. Dude immediately assumes his wife was kidnapped by this kid. Stabler tells him that they think his wife kidnapped the student, actually. Stabler also tells him that they have her on tape molesting that student. Then he asks if Mrs. Rice had ever been inappropriate with Jason. Ooh. Oh, that little tea kettle. Mr. Rice does not like it. He swings on fucking staves. Of course, this move is futile. We hear the Mortal Kombat voice narrating now, finish him, and Staves pins Mr. Rice against a wall. I've got a 12-year-old boy in danger. What the fuck is up with your wife? The guy goes in for a punch and Stabler dodges and spins all the way around into Stabler's bear hug, followed by yes. up against the wall. It was fucking awesome. Stabler's blowing in his ear. Tell me where your wife is. Uh huh? He's like, if we're having drinks, call me Stabler. <laughs> <laughs> so with that question, Mr. Rice is able to redirect his anger to its real emotion, confused sadness and fear. Teach boys that it's okay to have a whole spectrum of feelings. Beep, beep. Just a they little anyways, side there anyways. Let's make sure that it filters into other things instead of anger. They're going to channel them into anger if we don't teach them how to recognize their feelings and deal with them the appropriate way. That happens with women as well, but it's just really what our society teaches boys. We know that. Yeah. Mr. Rice kind of deflates a little and says he doesn't know what's going on with her. She's changed. She hasn't been herself lately. She's been preoccupied, snaps all the time, and is insatiable in the bedroom. He's finally reluctantly accepting that his wife might be hurting this kid. Stabler asks him to check and see if their car is missing because they park it in a garage and they don't always use it. New York. Mm. Yeah. Back at the precinct, a full pretzel-eaten blues Craig and bust through those dub mm. doors. I got 911 out of my VICAP meeting. What the fuck is up, squad? The whole team is trying to track down Shane and Principal Meredith Rice. Mm. They have an Amber Alert out so the public's aware. She took her husband's car, a blue Ford Taurus. My first car was a blue Ford Taurus. Mm. They even mentioned there's like there's so many blue Ford Tauruses out there, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Mine was an old black Toyota Corolla with flip-up lights, and one of the lights didn't work, so I had a stick in there to keep it up <laughs> the tank was almost empty so they're gonna have to stop for gas soon they don't have any hits on debit cards credit cards anything so far so she might be using cash toots gets a call a trucker spotted them getting off an exit in new jersey the plate was a match mm. cue the intensest shit music pitch black night helicopters spotlights tons of cars with lights detectives and cops in civil war reenactment costumes <laughs> did you notice their uniforms the uh -uh. like the beat cops uniforms their uniforms were way different and weird i wonder if it was like a jersey thing or something they do ski in their jeans after <laughs> so, all yeah. the car is spotted and they all run up to them shane and rice are in the back seat and first you're like uh oh but Stabes pulls shane out and he's freaking out that they're gonna hurt rice and she's in the back seat hard barfing rice is arrested by benson for sexual assault and kidnapping of a minor Back at the precinct, Rice is detained now. She's sitting in an interrogation room with her head in her hands, complaining of a headache, and asks for a doctor. Stabes offers for her to see a shrink, and she goes, I'm not crazy. I know what I did was wrong. I could see the air quotes, but <laughs> you were like, oh. see a shrink. It was just funny. because Shrink? I thought my tone implied, but I guess, yeah. 
quote, Sharink. She tells him that the day at the soccer field was the first time she did anything to Shane. She followed him into the bathroom because he was crying and she wanted to make sure he was okay. Then all of a sudden they were, here's where I'm really going to make sure I say a quote, that all of a sudden they were, quote, having sex. Not what that is. Stabler goes, we saw the fucking video. This kid was fighting you. You weren't having sex, lady. And she says she noticed he fought the first time. But Ugh. after that, quote, he couldn't get enough. This kid's fucking 12. She says it was his idea to run. And she hasn't done anything like that before and completely denies being a pedophile. Yeah. Stabler asks her what she did to Shane. And Rice lunges at him and kisses him. Yeah. I watched this a few times. Yeah. And Stabler kind of like kissed her back for a second. Mm -hmm. I know it wasn't intentional. But he like pressed his face against her face. And maybe that was like his mouth muscles being like, get out of here. Yeah. But it looked like a smooch. It looked like a smooch to me too. I, I caught that too. Yeah. So she's like, mm, like hard kissing him. And he grabs her. He's like, oh my God. And she's like, let's get it on. And full on basketball palms his entire jungle region. <laughs> The whole thing. Yeah. All of it. Stabler tells her she's out of her mind and shoves her into the wire grate wall. She collapses on the floor hilariously. I took a video. Hang on. I'm going to send it to you really quick. <laughs> she like blobbles her whole body yeah. down the side of the wall. Benson comes in. Is there a problem here? Stabler says Rice is going for an insanity defense. Oh, you spoke too soon, bud. Rice starts having a seizure. So Benny goes to call for an ambulance. Mm -hmm. Stabler gently cradles her head and lays her on the ground too. He wasn't like, he didn't like kick her over or mm -hmm. anything. Now we're at St. Mark's Hospital. Benson says the tox screen is clean, but they're still waiting on the CT scan. Stabler tells Benson he doesn't know what he did or how it happened. He's blaming himself for shoving her off of him and her having a seizure. Benson tells him it was an accident. She assaulted him. And there's fucking witnesses. All of a sudden, fucking big dick Tucker comes in. I A what is it? IAB? IAB. Stabler's like, don't waste your time. I'm going to wait for my union rep. Rat squad, sniff, sniff. Those people that keep us accountable. What fucking assholes. Benson, of course, stands up for Stabler, telling Tucker that Stabler was sexually assaulted. Tucker says, oh, what a surprise. His partner's going to back him up and rolls his eyes like a fucking teenager. Mm -hmm. Benson says, what would you have done if you had your boys in a vice grip? Tucker says he would have cuffed her, not bashed her brains in. Stabler says he thought he used appropriate force. You don't know. Don't say anything ever, Stabler. Just don't. Mm. Tucker brings up an incident from like four years ago. Stabler was suspended for telling the company, quote, shrink, that he dreamed about killing pedophiles. We all remember that from season one when fucking mm -hmm. what's her face? What was her name? Oh my God. Jeffries. Jeffries never came back. Stabler's pissed and did that kind of squinty eye thing. Mm -hmm. He's like, I thought about it, but I didn't do it, bitch. The doctor comes in and says, Rice isn't doing very good. Tucker says, from a blow to the head. And the doctor says, no, it was a pre-existing condition. They found a brain tumor the size of a fucking baseball. Rice is undergoing surgery right now. Novak the doctor with was the... hot. Yeah, he was very hot. I, don't, I can't I'm like, can I didn't... we at least just say it? The doctor was yeah. so hot. He was very hot. He was a um, a soap opera guy. Okay, there was that makes like, sense. Most of his creds were soap opera stuff. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, you are. All right. Novak speaks with the doctor at the hospital. Shirtless in Seattle. Oh, it's that one doctor. <laughs> um, oh, Dr. Morella. Yeah, we love her. Yeah, she's played by Julie White. Uh, we've done her IMDb before. She's a very regular re reoccurring character for a while. Yeah. She says they were in surgery for eight hours. 
Novak says Rice needs to be arraigned 24 hours after arrest because of the law. The doctor mm-hmm. says, um, I just opened a woman's fucking head and took out a malignant tumor nine centimeters long. You're going to miss that deadline. <laughs> she yeah. got sassy and I was like, <laughs> Novak <laughs> says that she did get an obeyance but needs to proceed in a timely manner. Rice should be in the hospital for five to six days. Novak needs to know when she will be lucid enough to be swearable. They'll need to do it bedside. The doctor asks what Rice did. Novak tells her about what Rice did to Shane, molestation and kidnapping. Dr. Morella is like, ugh, and explains that the frontal lobe damage can diminish impulse control. Novak says Rice knew what she was doing was wrong, though, but... The area of Rice's brain that stores moral knowledge was not affected. The tumor was in the right orbital frontal cortex, which controls behavior. Novak doesn't give a shit. She just wants to get a pedophile off the streets. But the doctor says that without the tumor, Rice probably wouldn't be a pedophile anymore. This is Mm. dicey. Yes. Novak speaks with Huang. Novak makes a stupid joke about getting a doctor's note saying, oh, sorry, I molested a kid, but I had a tumor. (laughs) And everybody's like, (laughs) Huang says it looks like a textbook case of applied sociopathy. Novak wonders if the tumor really caused it. What if Rice had been a pedophile all along and the tumor made her sloppy? Huang says it's unlikely since Shane is the only victim that they won't, that they know of. I don't know why he said that. That they know of. Novak says three other boys came forward. One was hugged and kissed. The other two were fondled all with in the last month. Huang brings up mens rea. The literal translation from Latin is guilty mind. A mens rea refers to the state of mind statutorily required in order to convict a particular defendant of a particular crime. Mens rea denotes the intention to commit the illegal act. And that is from www.lawcornell.edu. Yeah. So Huang brings up mens rea. Novak needs to find out if Rice acted on pedophilic tendencies prior to the tumor and if the tendencies are still there now that the tumor has been removed. At the hospital, Dr. Morella is getting ready to perform this experimental test on rice, and Huang's there to observe. Rice is going to be shown different kinds of porn as well as child abuse, sexual imagery, um, and they're going to watch her brain activity when she sees those things. Dr. Morella and Dr. Huang walk into a room where Meredith Rice is waiting in a hospital gown and her head's all bandaged after her surgery. She tells them that she no longer has the feelings she had when the tumor was in there. Mm -hmm. She tells Huang she's feeling better and wants to do the test. Like, she's not concerned. Huang tells her he hopes the test will give them some answers. She responds, I tried to stop. And Huang kind of leadingly goes, did you? Rice knew what she was doing was wrong, but she says the urges were so strong that they just took over. Yeah. They're actually in a bounce house because shit starts to swell. She says she's the last person to ever do anything like that. She knows the damage it can cause. Uh oh. Bounce house? Huh? You know, I knew that one might go over and it might not. I was thinking of them like being in a bounce house before it was being inflated and then it started Mm. inflating and swelling. Yeah. I'm running out of. And we're talking about the music? Yeah. Okay. No, it's fine. Um, it's a penis. It's a big, swelly penis. Like, I'm trying there. to mix it up. <laughs> You're like, oh, a bounce house of dicks. Oh. <laughs> I get it, it now. Okay. She says that she knows the damage the child sex abuse can cause. And Huang immediately knows what she's saying and asks when it happened to her. She tells him that she was sexually abused by her own grandfather. Marilla comes back in and gives Rice one of those viewfinders from the 80s with porn on it. Just kidding. It's a headset thing. And Rice lays down for the PET scan to start the test. Back at the precinct, Stabler has a digital image of Rice's scan and goes, so that's a pedophile's brain, huh? And Huang just goes, no? 
<laughs> Huang puts Rice's scan next to another one from a pedophile who's currently in prison, and they look super different. Mm -hmm. So what it's showing is that her brain activity doesn't match the one from a pedophile. They did not react to that same imagery that same way. Novak then references the Daubert test for scientific reliability. Like, dudes, you, this has to pass the Daubert test, which just means it has to meet standards of reliable principles and methods to be entered into evidence. Mm -hmm. This is something that I said during my notes. I have a feeling the fact that the test was still in the experimental stages will create mm -hmm. a problem there. That's what That's I was, what I, yep, yep, same. Yeah. I was like, why would they even mention that? But then it has nothing to do with anything, really. Because they don't yeah, even like go fine. to fucking... Just leave those loose ends, Jeremy. It's almost vacation time. Right. They don't even go. They don't even show any court scenes or anything, right? No. Huang points out that Rice's handwriting also went back to normal after her tumor was removed. Novak mm. says that they can't just let her off. Then other criminals would want to find medical excuses. And Benny says what we're all thinking. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could isolate the part of the brain that's fucked up in pedophiles and just fix it? Yeah. So this just spikes a conversation. They're all talking about brain scans for prevention and targeting of pedophilic behavior for early recovery and the ethics of it and everything. But Rice's tumor alone didn't cause her to be an offender. She had a lower threshold because of her history. This is what Huang's saying. Having been molested as a child, she was at high risk for becoming a pedophile. Okay, I will touch on that in the chaser. Yeah. Okay? Benson points out that she didn't act on it until the tumor. Cregan found a similar case in Virginia. A guy became a pedophile out of the blue due to a tumor. He was released. The tumor grew back and he did it again. Yeah. Chaser. Chaser. Yeah. He was like, he got a tumor and became a pedophile. He was released. And they were like, did he do it again? And they're like, a year later, he was in prison. And they're like, see? And he goes, no, the tumor grew back. Because mm -hmm. they, they were trying to like figure out if it was like there before or If the this tumor. is, yeah, it's so, it's so, it's, the brain is just crazy. I just can't, our understanding is so fucking limited. In the DA's office, Novak's there with Rice and Rice's lawyer, reoccurring character Cleo Conrad. Her offer is for Rice to plead to third degree rape. She gets five years of probation and periodic psych and medical screenings. Rice can't have contact with any of her victims either. And they're totally cool with everything until Novak says Rice has to register as a sex offender. Novak points out that the registry was made to protect the public from those who are at risk of offending again. Rice mm -hmm. argues that it won't happen because the tumor's gone. Novak asks what Rice will do if the tumor grows back. Conrad points out that Rice won't be able to work for the school system or see kids anymore or work with kids anymore. But Novak wants to be better safe than sorry. Conrad says they'll take their chances at trial, calling Rice noble and saying the jury will acquit once cancer's in question. And then Rice goes, no, I'm going to take the deal. Novak's right. We have to protect the kids and it's my responsibility. And Novak's like, holy shit, really? Um, okay. I yeah, her face was like, yeah. <laughs> what do I do now? Am I going to go do something I enjoy? Who am I? <laughs> I'm going to go read some briefings. I don't know. <laughs> Stabler goes to talk to Shane. He's on the roof playing the trumpet. Super New York-y. <laughs> Shane dropped out of band and soccer. He wants to drop out of school, too. Jason punched him and threatened to kill him for breaking up his family. Stabler says he'll talk to Jason. Good luck with that. This is probably gonna make it worse, but... Shane doesn't understand why he can't talk to Rice. He says he's called her about a hundred times. Oh, God. Stabler tells him that she'll go to jail if she talks to him. Shane thought Rice loved him and cared for him. Stabler explains that Rice was sick and what she did wasn't his fault. Stabler says that Rice is better now, but he's more concerned about Shane. Shane starts crying and says he just wants to die... And Sailor tells him that they're going to get him some help and it's going to be all right. 
Fucking. In the precinct, the gang discusses Shane. Huang says the real damage hasn't even begun to set in for Shane. Benson says he's going to need extensive therapy. Huang thinks Shane's mom is the reason he was susceptible to abuse from Rice, a mother figure. I don't... I don't want to blame mom stuff. But okay. Blame the mom. Blame the mm-hmm. mom. Blame the mom. Everybody blames the mom. Why not say something like, I blame the dad for not being there to protect him. Yeah. Whatever. Where's, where's the dad? Stabler's like, he's probably got a really big job. He's probably got a really <laughs> important job that he has to be at. <laughs> Huang says that it sucks that Shane's first sexual experience was non-consensual. And it's even worse. He developed feelings for his abuser. The odds Shane will have a healthy sex life are not very good. And the odds of him being... An offender are higher, Wong says. Stabler says, quote, and the cycle of abuse just continues. Benson says that he's going to grow up with a low opinion of women and be able to rationalize having sex with a child or raping a child, I should say. Mm. Huang hopes that maybe Rice will let them examine her brain for studies and maybe they could really locate the part that creates a pedophile and fix it. Benson gets a call and says, Meredith Rice hasn't fucking changed. Patrol responded to an incident at Rice's address. Oh, my God. Mm. It's a fucking crime scene now. Patrol fucking updates Benson and Stabler. Rice was attacked by Shane's mom. Shane's mom says Rice broke her restraining order by calling Shane. Shane's mom beat up Rice. Like, this woman who just had a fucking head surgery and has a black eye. I'm like, damn, damn. Benson goes up to Rice and he's like, what the hell's wrong with you? You think calling and agonizing with your 12-year-old victim is the right thing to do? Rice says she called Shane because she's fucking pregnant. And she feel like he needed to know because he's the father. And Shane's mom is so fucking pissed. She says she wants the pregnancy terminated. Benson tells her she doesn't have a fucking say in any of that. Stabler cuffs Rice and takes her out of the apartment. Rice tells Stabler about everything she's lost. Everything fell apart. Her husband is leaving her. She lost her job. Her stepson won't even talk to her. Then she says it's ironic because all I've ever wanted was a baby of my own. Be careful what you wish for, huh? Fucking Toyota. It's the end of season five. <laughs> season five. <laughs> Season five, toy ending. Toy ending. Let's let's end the season on a high note. Just kidding. This is terrible. <laughs> this episode is kind of the perfect mashup of Mary Kay Letourneau and the case of the dude with the same kind of tumor thing that mm-hmm. the perp in this episode is experiencing. Cragen actually referenced him when he brought up the case in Virginia. Since the major focus was the tumor storyline, we're going to lean into that as opposed to the Mary Kay Letourneau thing. But I feel like that's got to come back. Mm -hmm. And it's a wild story with constant updates. So I would like to hit that at some point. That's that's what she said. (sighs) Um, (laughs) No, no, wrong timing. Poor timing. Okay. Normally I have a full history on someone, but in this case there's anonymity, so I don't have as much to go on. Mm -hmm. Neurocriminology studies I read referred to this guy as Michael Oft, so I'll be calling him that. Okay. In the year 2000, Michael Oft was a school teacher in Virginia. He was 40, married, and raising his young stepdaughter with his wife. Seemingly out of nowhere, Oft... Seemingly, okay? Mm -hmm. Take every word I say with the weight in which you guys know I intend it. Seemingly out of nowhere, Oft's stepdaughter told her mom that her stepdad had been sexually inappropriate for several weeks. Mm. Like, he was making advances toward her. We don't know her exact age, but the age for pedophilia is prepubescent, if that tells you anything. Armed with this information, his wife didn't have to look far before she found more disturbing evidence of behaviors. Oft had a new but extensive collection of child sex abuse material. Mm. He had been collecting physical materials as well as downloading it at home and even at work. Whoa. It seemed like over time he was getting 
sloppier and sloppier with it. Mm-hmm. He also had a new habit of visiting sex workers, which was not something he had been known to do. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying it wasn't something he had been known to do and wasn't something that had been agreed upon in their marriage. Right. Well, based on the accusation from his stepdaughter, Offswipe reported him to police and kicked him out of the house. A doctor prescribed him medroxyprogesterone. When given to cis men, it lowers testosterone, which can inhibit sexual function and reduce hypersexual behaviors. It's apparently used a lot in nursing homes for patients with dementia that are being sexually inappropriate with their caregivers. I did not know this. It's given to women as well, but we would know it as Depo Provera. Okay. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. What the fuck? So, like I said, Off's wife had reported him to police and kicked him out of the house. He was found guilty of child molestation and ordered to go to an inpatient rehab and work a 12-step program for sex addiction. Mm -hmm. As long as he kept his head down and worked his program, he could avoid prison. But it wasn't long before Off was kicked out of rehab for being sexually inappropriate with other clients as well as staff at the facility and was sentenced to jail. The night before he was supposed to report to jail, though, Oft took himself to the University of Virginia Hospital ER with a severe headache. When he got there, he also reported to doctors that he was afraid he was going to sexually assault his landlady. He was admitted and began making sexual advances toward hospital staff shortly into being there. They first put him on a psychiatric hold, but then took note of a couple physical things he was displaying. He told doctors that he'd been losing his balance recently. He had lost his ability to write and had a noticeable head twist when he walked. Also while in the ER, he wet his pants and didn't seem bothered by it. Okay. These things combined made doctors perform a full neurological eval on him. Yeah. During his MRI, they discovered a brain tumor in his orbitofrontal cortex the size of an egg. Whoa. Damage to this part of the brain can increase impulsive behavior as well as affect decision-making and expectation. It also interferes with the regulation of social behavior. So just like in the episode, he knew what he was doing was wrong and had consequences, but the urges were seemingly compulsive and intense. Yeah. He felt like he had no control. Obviously, the physical stuff, the wetting his pants and the imbalance and stuff that so I'm curious, came along with it. I'm curious if he had like sexual thoughts and stuff about kids before he started downloading stuff and then it just got intense that was debated and i'll mention that um, like was he just like a regular quote quote regular pedophile where they're like hiding and then just couldn't anymore because of the brain tumor as far as well i'll get there i don't mean like right you know what i mean i'm like air quoting like i don't know how to say that oh no 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 yeah. i know what you're saying so oft had brain surgery and once the tumor had been removed he was walking normally and had regained bladder control within hours his reckless sexual behavior subsided and he discovered that his pedophilic impulses were gone Mm. again i'm using words that are right yeah i mean he did stop making advances at people in the hospital like he was also very concerned himself i mean when he went to the hospital he's like i'm scared i am gonna rape this woman Mm -hmm. also i have really bad headaches like there's something going on Mm -hmm. so after his surgery he was allowed to go back to the treatment facility to continue working his program seven months later he had finished the sexaholics anonymous program and went back to his life he moved back in with his wife and stepdaughter his wife took him back Mm -hmm. well because of yeah the tumor and his behavior it was new behavior yeah that drastically changed after the tumor was removed after a year or so he became concerned when his headaches came back and again he began collecting child abuse sexual images he took himself to the doctor he had another mri where it was found out that his tumor had regrown 
Another surgery was performed, another time that the pedophilic urges stopped. This is thought to be the first reported case of brain cancer being associated with pedophilia, but it's not unheard of for a head injury to cause or, I guess, exacerbate sex offending behavior. Right. We're like tip of the iceberg in studying the brain. The brain. Yeah. And this is just a piece of the frontal lobe. Wouldn't it be amazing? You know, Benson says it in the episode. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could figure that out? Find that one thing and trip that trigger and power that fucking thing down. Yeah. In studying this particular case, scientists felt that the tumor manifested, quote, sexual deviancy and pedophilia. Mm. Others say that regarding the pedophilia, the tumor just made it impossible for Oft to hide that aspect of his sexuality Mm. or it possibly even exposed it to him. Um, I read a separate thing that said that although many discover their pedophilia early in life, as their sexual interests don't age along with them, uh-huh. they notice that their peers are maybe attracted to different things than they are, et cetera. Some don't realize it until later in life. Mm. You know, it, they might be in a four-year-old adult man who just had something that was different that he didn't maybe recognize until later. It's obviously something that's going to continue to be studied. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to mention something that was discussed in the episode. It's thought to be a misconception that most child sex offenders were victimized as children. So in the episode, they talk about sex offenders having been abused themselves as kids it's brought up a few times, actually, and it even ends with Stabler saying the cycle continues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it's new information to me that that is possibly not the case. A study done in 2001 found that 67 percent of sex offenders reported having been abused themselves. But when given polygraphs, it dropped to 29 percent. A more recent report was published in 2016 with 38,000 case studies finding that 4 percent of sex offenders had a confirmed history of experiencing childhood sexual abuse. These numbers indicate that Mm -hmm. offenders may be trying to rationalize their crimes to others and even gain sympathy. I really wanted to drive this home because it's a harmful misunderstanding. We all know that pedophilia comes with an enormous stigma. That in mind, this may prevent victims of abuse from speaking up about it, about being abused themselves if they think people are Mm going to think that there's a possibility that I'm one of these people. Also, Mm -hmm. As if abuse isn't psychologically damaging enough, it can create an unwarranted fear in abuse survivors that they will have a desire to or become an offender themselves. Mm -hmm. So not only are they worried what others will think, but they also have that stigma in their mind of, oh my God, what if? What if it's me? What if I do this? Oh, that's awful. It's just, it is, it's awful. So I feel like a lot of us have this misconception. I definitely did. That it was, Mm -hmm. not that it always happens, but that the likelihood is higher. That said, all of that said, none of these studies can be truly set in stone since experts believe that only Mm -hmm. one in 20 cases of child sexual abuse are reported. Also, there are two Mm -hmm. groups that can't be a part of these studies currently. Those who don't get caught and pedophiles that never offend. Right. It's so fucking tricky. There are pedophiles who want help and are unable to seek treatment out of fear of being ostracized. Even those who have never or decidedly would never offend. I don't think that there is a treatment for it because I I think that would it's like trying to make somebody that's straight, trying to turn them gay, like trying to turn them. I don't think that there's honestly she was a therapist for and like worked with sex offenders and stuff. And she was like, nope. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for fucking however many years. She had her own office. She in Colorado, you had to do lie detector tests like every time you yeah. whatever. She was just like, I'm gonna say nine nine out of ten. But I'm wondering 
I'm yeah. not saying it's treatable right now, but I'm just saying we can't even do accurate studies on how the right. brain affects this and everything else because it lives in the dark. Mm -hmm. It's it, just like anything. There's, there's power in education. There's something to be said about being held accountable for some. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a population of people that have this tendency, this, you know, the sickness that don't want to have it and that keep yeah. themselves from acting on it. There, ha there has to be. Yeah. Because there's a spectrum of everything. Well, there yeah. has to be this population. And for that population to maybe help in research and understanding and whatever, but that can't be, that can't. So that, so that they don't so that do they this don't. shit because, and ruin a child's life. Exactly. And their family. And mm -hmm. yeah, this is like a really hard like thing to talk about because you're right. If you talk about this without being like, kill them, throw them away, it sounds like well, you know, maybe they, you know, like, and it's like, no, it's the slippery slope shit because this stuff is going to always happen. And I feel like, like, you're right. Studying it, we can figure out how to make that happen mm -hmm. less, you know? Yeah. Save some fucking kids yeah. lives. I'll put some resources in the show notes. Yeah. This is how we're going to end the season. Yep. Next week. No, I'm just kidding. End of season five. End on a weird note. Why would we end on any other fucking note? This is coming out July 25th. The last week in July, we will be back October 3rd. He asked me what day it was. It's October 3rd. So in the meantime, we're going to have Patreon shit available. We're going to continue posting to the Patreon. So next episode, we got season six, episode one, Birthright. Mm. There's an attempted kidnapping of a six-year-old girl, and it uncovers this fertility doctor scheme to steal embryos. And then there's like a custody battle between like kids biological parents and birth parents it's gonna be wild it's gonna be a wild ride biological parents and birth parents are the same thing aren't they biological parents and the people that gave birth to them because he was stealing embryos embryo. and, whoa yeah well shit i guess we'll tackle that with a procrastination amount of time left before we have to record it see you then <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, as always, rate and review us. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Anything to send? Hit P.O. Box 176 in DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. We do have a wish list on Amazon. We have a wish list on Amazon. Um, it's Check out our Instagram at svupod. Follow us. Engage with us. It helps. Uh, get pod merch and more at svupod.com. Yeah, I think we're going to probably launch some stuff. Yeah, new stuff coming. That's what mm -hmm. that's my nickname. Okay. Uh, um, also, join the Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. We have a chat group called Walk and Talk, and we're all in there chatting it up. And everybody's, I just love how fucking vulnerable everybody supportive. is and like supportive. Yeah. It's fucking bananas. And then one of the Walk and Talkers started a book club called The Single Tomato. Yes. Hashtag a little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. If you're an indie pod, hashtag it so people can find you. And if you're looking for a fucking indie pod to support, a little bit loud. Yeah, search the hashtag a little bit loud. Follow it. And join the Patreon. We got tons of content. You know what? Also call us. We got a little phone number. Call us and leave us your questions, stories, and comments. We don't have to play the voicemail. We don't have to say your name. Anything. Just call and if you have any questions or you know want some fucking really solid advice. Really smooth well thought out advice from a couple of 40 year old white ladies in the midwest we got you we know how the With world works maybe a full <laughs> bachelor degree between us just kidding gabe has a degree all of my credits equal a doctorate basically but just just in numbers we want to hear from you we want your stupid questions and your stupid stories and if the stupider the better <laughs> 
<laughs> the phone number is, it's one because America, 920-345-7005. And in the 90s, this is where I would say, again, that's 920-345-7005. Call us now. Call now. <laughs> Sam, the listener mm-hmm. Sam, um, she said that I think tomorrow or tonight they are doing a drunk you know a su pod drink the drinking game that they have and then and she's like then we're gonna speakerphone call (gasps) the number and drunk whatever i was like yeah yeah we were talking in the (laughs) in the facebook group in the walk and talk the other day and somebody was like was this a fever dream or were they talking about doing a dear abby TNG kind of thing. And I was like, call the fucking phone number. Yes. Yeah. We want all of it. You can you can text it too. Another reason to join the Patreon, the content doesn't stop when the season is over. The rest of you mm-hmm. still love you. See you in October. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. So they're headed to the porn studio. Lube as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Lube flows like wine. <laughs> On the big cock candy mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Watch your step over the dental dam. (laughs) (laughs) There's a river of lube and of chism too at the big cock candy mountain. And then you just see shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was like, what's pirate cuisine? Like, what are you even talking about? (laughs) (laughs) You lying a little bit? I just think more highly of you than you think of yourself. So you didn't answer the question. I'm not lying a little bit. I'm lying a lot. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I was like waiting for you to say something. I'm lying a lot. (laughs) And to our elite squad patrons, Sonia W, Marissa M, LKH, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin. Vanessa, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Kate H, Uyanga. You know, you could have harmonized better than that. I was going to say the same thing to you, you stupid bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was bad. Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zahn and J, Nada M, San, Christina D, Madison H, Emily, (gasps) only Can make really hit that high note. Thank you. You did like a little like almost a yokel like only. Um, I think I it. Do I it. think it's some kind of vocal flip. I think it's called a flip. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I wouldn't be able to repeat it. Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B. Come through, Drew. Amberly C, Sapphire. Monica K, Katie S, Trisha S, Angela D, Brenna T. Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Aunt Sarah, Caitlin S, Emily D, Katie H, and Lexi Y. Love you. Love you. Thank you so much. See you. No, see? You did it again. Mm. You did it again. 
can make the darkness bright. Okay, I need to come up with some new ones for next season. That's what I need to do for the next two months. I'm just writing Emily O shit, so I hope I hope you stick around. She's like, I was gonna cancel my membership after this season, and I'm just gonna have all this fucking Emily O material. All right, <laughs> we love you so much. Love you. October 3rd, 